Well, I'm so glad that, that you're here on this President's Weekend. I know we have so many of our people traveling, but I think we, all, we got all the best ones of you here, so it's, it's great to have you with us. It's really been quite a weekend in our country. Uh, yesterday morning, I was going to turn on what was supposed to be a 90-minute memorial service on CNN. <clears throat> I don't know if they had known that this was going to happen. It was four hours uh, for Whitney Houston's passing, and I'll tell you, at least two of it, two hours of it, was just about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was an amazing thing without commercial going all over the world, just a proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, it's clear to me that Whitney Houston loved the Lord Jesus. It always raises the question of how we who love Jesus can turn away and, and walk so far down certain paths. But one of the things was also for sure proclaimed there, this beautiful grace, grace of our God. Uh, to welcome us back and, and to begin again. And I hope you'll think about that even today as we've gathered. It's already been great to be here too. Uh, Gary, it's so good to have you back and playing. I've never heard anything like your electric uh, violin. It's just a blessing. <clears throat> Gary has been, come back again. The Lord's brought him back and has been uh, our concert master. And uh, I've been trying to get Dwayne and Elvin uh, to wear a suit, the color of the violin, but... We'll wait and see if, if we can do that. Well, I think some of you know I lived in Germany for a number of years back in the 1970s. Uh, Chris and I spent our first year of, of marriage there. And most of the people that I served during that time there and, the, and that I served alongside of were a part of the uh, German state church, Landeskirche, the German National Church. Uh, that's almost unimaginable for Americans, right? A national church. Um, and we talked about what a church is so many times. In Germany, there were two state churches. There was the Catholic Church and the Protestant, which was mostly uh, Lutheran. When I was there, over 90% of the people were uh, members of one of those two state churches. Now it's dropped all the way to about uh, 60. But we talked so much and debated about what the church is, and especially as we come to today's message, about how you uh, fund, how you pay for a church. Uh, in Germany, most of the funding for a church happened through what's called the Kirchensteuer, uh, the church tax. Yes, a part of your tax paying went to the local church. Again, almost unimaginable for us. And so during that time, as I would debate about this, it, it forced me uh, to take open the scriptures and to see what the Bible has to say about how we talk about things such as funding and, and whether we should even talk about that. Uh, I'm sure many of you know that some pastors find it very challenging to talk to all of you about the use of your time. It's meddling, doesn't it seem like sometimes? The use of your um, talents. And I think especially about the use of treasures, about this thing of money. It, it shouldn't be that way. All of that is a part of the life that God has given us, and wisdom in that is really needed. And I'll just tell you, as I've been doing this brief series here called Don't Waste Your Life, I have been so thankful for the many, many, many of you here at Lake Avenue Church have, who have actually come up and thanked me for doing a series on stewardship. So if you don't ever want me to do this again, it's going to take a big write-in campaign to, over, you know, to weigh, overweigh the groups of people who've said it's about time that we talked about this because I wonder what God has to say to us. Now, uh, in Germany, when I would debate about this with my German friends, so many of them said that the way that we 
do this matter of church life in the United States is dangerous. They said to think that a church could actually survive by its people serving, you know, voluntarily, and especially funding through voluntary giving, they said that's just downright dangerous. And there's a phrase, something like this, the one who gives the pay has the say. The one who gives the pay has the say. They said, you, if you're a pastor in the United States and, and people give, then you're going to be strongly tempted just to sort of uh, scratch the ears and, and please those who are the biggest uh, givers to the church. And, and let's just face it. The danger is there. The danger is there. However, I've got to tell you something. Those of us who believe in the kind of God that the Bible says God is, holy, omnipotent, know that if there is anybody that we are accountable to, anybody that we should please, it has to be God, not people. Any amens? I, yes, I listened to that. Can I have a witness about that? That's, and I, I just want to tell you this. I think you know this, those who come here. I make this commitment to you that I want to be as faithful as I can be to proclaim what God has said in his word. Even if sometimes it's convicting, even if sometimes it corrects us, even if sometimes we get mad and say, I'm not going to go back there anymore, or I'm going to quit giving. Uh, the, the Bible has this phrase, it uses this several times. It's the fear of the Lord, not the fear of people. It's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. And I, I just want us all, and I want to personally also be one who seeks to please the Lord by teaching whatever he says to us. And I'll tell you, when I saw another way of doing this, instead of us out of our hearts supporting what God is doing, it, uh, having a, a church tax, and I would go to the many, many state churches, and I went to hundreds of them, sang in so many of them, where sometimes a, a place that would have a thousand seats would only have 15 people there on a Sunday morning, and none of them young. None of them young, like all of us are here. I knew that something was missing, and that sometimes the uh, clear call to repentance and to trust Jesus uh, was missing. Now, I'll just tell you, my personal conviction is that our giving to God's work, whether that's of time, talent, or treasures, is a matter of our hearts. And that's why God gives us the opportunity to give, not through the obligation of giving a church tax, but as a response of our hearts. And Jesus drove home something that I've thought about so many times, that where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. And you heard it as Dave and Mary Sue were sharing with us. When we give to something, a part of our hearts become attached to that. We, 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 we become a part of it. We love that. So when we begin to see that we have given to, to help perhaps uh, single uh, mothers who, who have had their children and to help them get through, our love for them and our prayer for them grows. As we give to, to some of our people and send them to carry the gospel to other places, our heart is attached to them. When we give to the life of the church and we see good things happening in the life of the church, the gospel going forward and people knowing Jesus, we just feel like we're a part of this. See, our giving, according to God's word, is, is something that's attached to our hearts. So today in my last message on our stewardship, I want to talk about some of our basic biblical convictions. I want to tie it all together. What I'm going to say to you, it's been partly what I've said already, but it really grows out of those years of debating with my German friends about why we should give this way. So I want to tie it together. And at the very end, I just want to, in a machine gun-like fashion, 
I want to just look through some of the practical advice that the Word of God gives to us. So first, why is stewardship so important? Our most basic convictions. According to the Bible, the stewardship of all that God has given us, time, talents, and treasures, is simply a part of our identity as people made in the image of God. It's just a part of who we are, what God has made us for. Uh, God created the world, we didn't, right? And, and when He created the world, He created everything, but when He created you and me, there's something different about us than about anything else in His world. And that's why in, in Genesis 1, 26-28, I, I pointed out often, He stopped and God said, Let us make the man, male man and female man, just let us make people in our own image and let them rule over all that I have made. He's given us this remarkable ability, being in His image, of being able to use what He's given us to take care of this world that He made. That just as God is able to be sovereign and make sure that things happen that are right, He's entrusted to us the ability to use all that we have to rule over the rest of His creation. And it should be to reflect the way that He rules over us. It's amplified in Genesis 2.15 where He says, What I'm talking about is I want you to work this world and to care for this world that I have made. It was very good. And if you will do it under my sovereignty, the world will be very good. So, so, so the result of that is, just as our identity, I mean, made in God's image, is that you and I have never been made to be able to be satisfied simply by existing or surviving, and especially not by using all that God has made to consume just upon ourselves. Does this make sense to you? Am I just ranting and raving up here? It's just a part of what God has made us to be as He's made us in His image. To have it so that we can use all that He has made us to be, all that we are, to bring blessing to the rest of His universe. And it starts with that point of believing that all that we are and all that we have really belongs to God. And that's what stewards mean. It is our honor and privilege to use whatever God has given us. To bring glory and honor to His name. And doing so includes our finances, of course. But it also includes the way we use our time. The way we use the talents God has given us. Yesterday in that memorial service, one of the preachers says, God has given everything to us. And this life of stewardship is our gift back to the God who has graced us so wonderfully. It's a, it's a part of our identity. A second, stewardship is so central to us because it's a part of our discipleship. And I know if you're new to church, that's a word you don't use very often. But I just mean it's a part of following Jesus. It's just a, a natural part of following Jesus. We look at him and see how did he use his life and, our, and he used it as a steward. Oh, Genesis 3 again. We know that people made in his image, made to rule, walked away from God. But God loves us anyway. God made us to reflect His glory. But now, none of us reflect it perfectly. How did Paul put it? Romans 3.23 Every one of us falls short of the glory of God. So that we, we still are, are made in the image of God. 
but we're not reflecting His glory perfectly. But God wants to do something to forgive us when we've walked away from Him and begin remaking us so that our lives reflect His glory. What does that look like? Well, there's only one person who's ever lived who perfectly reflected the glory of God. Anybody want to guess who it might have been? It was Jesus who alone lived the life that God created human beings to live. He lived the life we all should be living, but none of us has. And then he was willing to die the death that we should have to because of our sin, but we don't have to because in him we have salvation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we become people who follow him. We entrust our lives to him and we look and say, how did he live? And what do we see when we see Jesus? We see that he lived a life of stewardship and service. Using the moments that he had in this world to bring blessing to people. How did he put it in, in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 10 verses 42 to 45? The rest of people in this world who have authority. Use it for their own benefit. Use it to lord their power over others. Not so with you, Jesus said. And then these, these profound words, because even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. That, that is us. And when I came to that text in Luke chapter 16 a few weeks ago, I pointed out that text on the way to the cross where Jesus was going to use the moments of time that he had in this world to give his physical life to bring about our salvation. We learn something powerful about stewardship. You remember he said that even people who are just outright pagans like that unjust steward are smart enough to use what doesn't last very long to bring about something that will last longer. And he said, we, that's where I get my definition of stewardship from, from Jesus. That's good stewardship is using what doesn't last very long in this world to bring about something that lasts longer. And, and even people who don't believe in God can do that. But we have been made alive to an eternal world. And we know that God is doing an eternal work in this world. And we can use temporary things, as Jesus said, to be able to invite someday people into eternal dwellings. Good stewardship is using what doesn't last on what God has given us to be able to bring about eternal blessing. So as Dave and Mary Sue shared, whenever you see that your giving of something temporary is used and you see people come to Jesus. When you see you give something temporary and you see children in the life of the church being taught in the ways of Jesus. When you give something and you see people in the community having some of their poverty or, or difficulties alleviated, and we do it because we keep our eyes on Jesus, then I'll tell you, it's just a part of our stewardship because we follow Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus. I love Hebrews 12, 2-3. What do we do as followers of Jesus? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the pioneer of our faith. He is the perfecter of our faith, which means he brought it to completion by giving his physical life for our eternal salvation. It was for the joy set before him that he endured a cross, scorned its shame. We consider him who endured such opposition for sinners so that we will not grow weary and lose heart.
So you see, stewardship is just central to following Jesus. Is that clear? It's part of our identity, made in God's image. It's a part of just following Jesus. And then third, it is a part of what it means to worship. And by that, I mean as, th- as those who are made to live in response to all that God is. Now, I'm going to take us back one more time to the way I think about worship and the way we understand worship in the life of the church. I'll put the definition up here. You've seen it before. Worship is the proper response of the whole of our lives to the triune God. See, that's what worship is. We put God at the center. When we worship him, the whole of our lives, all that we are, responds to who he is. So when we worship, what we do is we ascribe all honor, praise, and worth to God. Why? Because he is worthy of our honor and praise and thanks. True worship results then in God being at the center, both of our adoration as well as our action, both in our personal lives as well as in our corporate gatherings. So you see, worship is just the way you and I live. God is with us wherever we go. And what we do is whenever we live in a certain way simply because we want to please God, that is an act of worship. And this finally brings us to the text that I want to end our series with today. 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In that text, the Apostle Paul I don't know if you noticed as Ruby was reading. There's a lot of tongue-in-cheekness. Is that a word <laughs> for Paul? Because this wealthier church in Corinth just could say, we do everything well here. Our teaching ministry is better. Our facilities are better. The music, everything we do well here. They said, just like you excel in all of that, like you tell me, what happened to your giving? <laughs> because the Apostle Paul was involved in raising money for poor people back in Jerusalem. The gospel had come from people there, so they graced them. And uh, now the people in Jerusalem, brothers and sisters, were having a hard time. And the Apostle Paul was collecting a gift. And, and the amazing thing was, I think you know this, the poor churches in Macedonia... Churches like in Philippi and Thessalonica, they were far out giving this wealthy church. So the Apostle Paul talks about that. We'll come back to that in a minute. But the way he talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, Our opportunity to be stewards is a grace. It's an unearned gift from God. God provides to us so that we can give it back to him. It is a grace that when we do it, we live life. We ourselves find meaning in our lives. If if you just look through those early verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, look how he puts it. I want you to know about the grace God has given the poorer churches, the Macedonian churches. This grace of being able to give, though they had so little. He told these much wealthier Corinthians in verse 6. I want you to continue with your own giving, your own act of grace. In fact, he said, just like you say you excel in everything else, verse 7, I want you to excel in this grace of giving. And then he really drove it home in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, So that you, through his poverty, his death on the cross, might become rich. So, brothers and sisters, I just have to ask you a simple question. 
Do you believe that God has graced you? Do you believe that God has graced you? If so, the proper response to his grace is to have a way of life in which we are always asking, then, Father, how do I use what you have graced me with, what you've entrusted to me? How, how can I use it to be a blessing to the people made in your image? How can I use it to further your work? Uh, seriously, the work of God throughout the centuries so that the gospel made it all the way from Jerusalem all the way, amazingly, to Pasadena, California. How did that happen? It happened through God's people doing this, stewarding their lives to further the work of God until eventually the work of God is done. It's what you and I were made for. Uh, back in January uh, 2001, I had a real privilege. I, I had the opportunity to be invited by President Bush uh, together with a group of other Christian university presidents to go to the White House. At that time, President Bush was trying to get these faith-based initiatives started, um, and, and he was getting all sorts of opposition. And the opposition was not just from the secular groups of people. It was from the church, too. Some of you may remember that, the fear of entanglements, that there will be uh, strings tied if churches get... Uh, any money from the government to do things. But here's what, what led him to do it. He set before us as Christian college presidents undeniable evidence that churches throughout the United States were already doing the very same work in the neighborhoods of caring for people and doing, doing the very same work that they were paying government agencies to do, except doing it much more effectively and especially more cost-efficiently. By that, I mean cheaper. And uh, he said he can't figure out why, if, if you can do that, why are we paying so much more for somebody else to do it if we can help support the work of the church? And how does this happen? And we just talked to him about what he already, I think, knew. And actually, President Obama has seen the same thing. So this, this office of um, faith-based neighborhood partnerships, it's called now, uh, continues on. We just pointed out to him the thing that I think he already knew, that this record of uh, God's people giving to a community in this way comes about because we follow Jesus. <laughs> we see what Jesus did. He, uh, he gave his physical life for our eternal souls. So in, in response, we fix our eyes on him and we give whatever we have in our lives, our time, talents, and treasures, to bring blessing to others. That's what we told him. And we have discovered that when we do it, yes, other people are blessed, that you and I have great joy ourselves. Um, this kind of stewardship, we told him, is central to our identity. <laughs> As those made in the image of God, it's central to our discipleship. As those who follow Jesus, it's central to a life of worship to which God has called us. That's why stewardship is a part of just following Jesus. Is, is that clear? Now I've got to bring this series home. <clears throat> How do we do it? And I just want to end with some practical advice for our stewardship. We put one of these little cards. We've always had them in the, in the uh, pews. <clears throat> but we put these cards in the worship folder this week. And I want to do this in machine gun-like fashion. It might be a kind of a slow machine gun, but I'll, I'll do it as quickly as I can. I want to pass on to us the counsel, the biblical counsel, that the Apostle Paul gave the believers about their stewardship in 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. 
Now remember the background of this. Uh, Paul was in a city called Ephesus. He found out about the poverty of his brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. He knew that the Jerusalem church had made great sacrifice to send people out. And so churches had been started. And now those churches were doing well, but the Christians in Jerusalem were struggling. So uh, he was getting all the churches to give. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. Now about this collection for the Lord's people, he said. I want you to do what the Galatian churches do. So you see what's going on here. He, uh, he was trying to motivate them uh, to give. And he was telling them how all Christian churches do this. L- later, when we come to chapters uh, 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, he found out that the Corinthian church that had the most had stopped giving. So it's sort of like his own chapters 8 and 9. Two whole chapters. It's kind of like his own stewardship sermon that he gave to them. So in 1 Corinthians 16, we have a strategy for how churches do it. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we have some practical spiritual advice about how we go about it. And out of that, I have... Excuse me. I'm okay. Out of that, I have pulled together these seven principles that I want to just go through quickly. So, all right. If you're convinced that it's a part of our identity, a part of our discipleship, and a part of our worship. You with me there? Then how do we go about it? Number one. Our giving should be regular. Chapter 16, verse 2. On the first day of the week. Now, that sort of statement just reinforces what I've talked to you about. Stewardship is a matter of developing God-like rhythms. The use of our time. Do you remember we identify all of our work? Get it done, six. Get to stop, one. It's a wonderful dance. Six and one, six and one. Use of our time. Uh, In our giving, in the Old Testament, God had put in a rhythm. It's called tithing, which means 10%. That 10%, even though God made everything, uh, 10% were to set aside, and that belongs to the Lord and to his work fully. So the rhythm was 9 and 1, um, 9 and 1. Uh, now, uh, he also said that 9 and that 1, the rhythm that is really healthy for us is to do it on the first day of the week. Uh, and that there's a real blessing to, to doing it that way. It develops an ongoing discipline, <clears throat> a regularity to our giving and, and to our stewardship. And in the early church, that's what they did. Uh, the tithing was reinforced, and this first day of the week to set it aside was reinforced, except that as the early church saw it, many of them said, wait a minute, that was before Jesus came, this nine and one. We should do more because Jesus gave his whole life. I know I'm scaring you when I, when I say that. But that's what, uh, that's what they said. <clears throat> and so what they did, and you've heard Pastor Jeff Leo do this when he receives the offering sometimes from us. He will say, Lord, now we bring to you your tithes and our offerings. Have you ever heard him say that? I smile every time he says it. Your tithe, that already belongs to you. And the offerings is the uh, part that just out of our response to God You can think about that as you want. The Apostle Paul says that regular giving encourages consistency in our stewardship. It also helps the church, from the pastor's perspective, to plan for our kingdom ministry. And the Apostle Paul indicates in verse 2, it might keep us from begging so much. It might mean that if we do this this way, that I won't have to send out letters in December and June anymore. Oh, that would be such a blessing. You notice that, uh, so that, at the end of the verse? Do it this way. First, so that 
when I come, no appeals will have to be made. See, this sort of regular, consistent, rhythmic giving keeps begging from happening in the church. So I'll just pray about the rhythm of your financial giving. You see, it's a slow machine gun. Number two, giving should be proportionate. This little phrase, in keeping with his income. That's such a striking phrase. It's one I rarely hear pointed out in a a church. It means God really knows that sometimes there are moments when we walk through turbulent times. So in those moments, we should still want to be involved in stewardship and ask God for wisdom to know how to do it and to provide. Whether And sometimes we may have to do more with our time and talents, right? But still, all of us should be considering it. But it also makes us see about our giving. Well, which, which one gives more? Uh, a family of um, uh, six people, four kids and, and the parents, whose combined income is $30,000 and they give $3,000 a year. Or the uh, couple... Who, whose combined income is $100,000 and they give 10000 a year. Who gives more? You don't, you don't have to yell it out uh, to me. I'll just let you think about that. I, I was reading an article by a man named Fred Smith. He's the uh, head of Fred Smith Associates. And uh, he said that he remembers that when he began working, he was only earning $6 an hour and he set aside uh, 10% of it. He said now that He's not so sure that God is all that impressed when he gives 10% of his seven-figure income. So this in keeping with your income is really something that we should think about. Giving should be regular. It should be proportionate in keeping with our income. Number three, giving should be done wisely. And and I'll have to explain that. I, I pulled out this little phrase, taking pains to do what is right taking pains to do it in the right way. What I mean in this situation about wisely, I mean that when we are stewards, God has given us minds, we're made in His image, to be able to look and carefully and prayerfully evaluate how is that money being used by that church or by that organization. Uh, He set up checks and balances so that we can look and see how it might be used. It makes me see that our giving as followers of Jesus is not just an emotional response to some sort of an appeal. It's not just an impromptu, oh, no, I've got to do something today. I'll, I'll put a dollar in the, in the offering plate. Instead, it is something that we pull back and we look at what that ministry is doing. And you know that so much giving, because God's built us to be emotional people, so much giving when it's given, then when we look and see how it's used, it's not used the way that we know that would honor the Lord and it gives us great, great joy. One of the beauties of giving to a local church is that we've been here 115 years on this street corner and we're so close to the action, you can see what's happening here. And what's happened in these 115 years is all sorts of good checks and balances have been used and we get to speak into it so that whenever you come and you look and see, is that money being used to train our children, to to have an impact upon our communities, to, to bring the gospel to the world, then you have an opportunity to look at this. To make sure that it's, it's used rightly. And if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 16 to 21. Not only did he in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians say. Uh, make sure that you find people that you trust to carry the money. Then in 2 Corinthians 8 he set up all these checks and balances. Find a good person and you know one of the most spiritual persons is Titus. So even if he carries the money don't have him go it alone. I need accountability too. You can read through those verses. Do you think it was because they didn't trust Paul or he wasn't trustworthy? Well, he was human. 
And nothing is more tempting to us than, than money, right? So the ability to set up real accountability that that money goes the way that it should go is so important. And I'll tell you this. I, 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 I love the way we do it here at Lake. Over these many, many years, we have so many checks and balances for how the money is collected, how the money is counted, and how the money is distributed. Um, I'm looking out. I won't, I'll, 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 I'll kind of turn my head away. It's somebody who used to sign off on my own um, expense accounts. I'm telling you, I don't think there was a dollar spent that wasn't looked at. So sometimes that's irritating. But I see how much, how important that is for each one of us. Anybody agree with me about that? Our need of accountability to do this right? Okay, three of you. That's great. So number three, it should be, it should be wise. I've got to keep it. Number four, it should be generous. Chapter uh, 9, verse 6. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. The language is figurative. It's a, it's a farming. But I think we understand very well what he means. God had been so generous, planting himself into lives of people, giving his spirit to the church. Now they had the opportunity to plant back again. And he's saying, listen, generous giving brings generous blessing. Though that blessing, according to Second uh, Corinthians 9, 10, may not be uh, more money. It might be a spiritual blessing. It might even be an emotional blessing. Because clearly the Bible's not teaching give so that you can manipulate God to give you more. That's just the opposite. Our giving is a response to the God who has given so much to us. So it should be generous. And I think the question we should ask, we're not going to do this, but the question that maybe we should ask is, um, if everybody at church today knew how much I gave, would they say it's generous? I'm just asking, if not, then what would be? What would be? It should be generous. It should be purposeful. Verse 7 of chapter 9, what he has decided in his heart, uh, which has to do with careful contemplation in his heart. It means deliberating, praying, maybe even in your family, talking about it, how can the funding be used. And when we have that consensus and we sense God's leading, we just do what he told us to do. In other words, it's a matter of thoughtful prayer. It should be purposeful. Six, it should be done willingly. I love the phrase in verse seven. It's not reluctantly or under compulsion. Um, I've received so many fundraising letters. And you know in the job I used to be in, I wrote a lot of fundraising letters. And um, what you, <laughs> you find is this temptation for uh, you to become more and more passionate about how much you need those funds. You've got to have this happen. So I had a, a series of fundraising letters where I felt how it had started gently and then grew. The first one started, uh, your gift to us will show your love. And then they had financial expansion and then tight budgeting uh, led to a heightened appeal. Give us money or you won't get God's blessing was the second one. <laughs> and then a crisis came and pressure became greater. Give us money to save this ministry. Don't let God down, it said. Then the fourth one had, I felt like, visions of grandeur. My ministry is winning the world. Give or the kingdom of God may fail. And then not a part of this organization's, but you remember some of you, how it can go to the absurd. You remember the time, give now or God is going to take my life. Any of you remember that? 
I'll tell you, a watching world looks in, and they rightly wonder, what kind of a God is this who so desperately needs our money? David Pobley last week said, one of the things became clear to him and Melanie, that God didn't need our money. No, he entrusts it to us and gives us the blessing of being able to utilize it for lasting things. And it should be done willingly. So Jesus' followers do not give out of guilt. We don't give out of a greedy desire just to get more. Our giving is a response of gratitude to the God who's so graciously given all to us. I'll just you and I belong to a family in which our Father has lavished upon us blessings. And it is such a joy to be able to give back. So that the seventh uh, directive is giving brings blessing. God is able, verses 8 and 9, to make all grace abound to you. Again, the, the Bible's point is not that we give in order to get. It, it's just this thing that we know is, that's so true. There is great, great joy, not only for the one who receives that gift. There's joy there but also for the opportunity to give that gift. The Bible keeps telling us that this kind of giving, when we see the results of it, is exhilarating. It's an exhilarating experience. Again, and Dave last week said, over all these years of giving, Melanie and I have never stopped to ask, what great stuff are we missing out on by giving to God's work? It's just the opposite. We see what God is doing, and there's just such a joy in our being. God uses our stewardship of our time, talents, and treasures to do his work and to bring his joy and his salvation to others. And then he finds a way not only to bless the ones to whom the gift is given, but also to us when we give. He graces us. He graces us with this opportunity. Christian stewardship, I'll just leave you with this, is not the grudging giving of an Ebenezer Scrooge who needs three ghosts to come and scare it out of him. And it's not the foolish impulsiveness of a spendthrift. I, I pray that as we look at these directives so clear from God's word that the time will come when here at Lake Avenue Church I as your pastor will never even have to talk about stewardship. I hope you'll always keep coming up and saying, talk to us about that again. That would be a great, great joy. I I think God is honored when it becomes so clear to the whole world that God's people and God himself, we are not obsessed with controlling our own time and our talent and, and our treasures. But we are generous, sacrificial, joy filled stewards of all that God has entrusted to us. What is Christian stewardship? It is the joyous, thankful, prayerful giving of people who are wholly given to the Lord. Uh, These Macedonians, they gave themselves first to the Lord, then they gave to his work. Christian stewardship is the giving of people who are still amazed by the amazing grace of of our God. Then we'll give to his glory. Amen.